Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. In the name of the one who was and is and is to come, amen. Please be seated. I spent part of yesterday putting up Christmas lights at home. And in some ways, that was a surreal exercise, partly because it was just so darn warm outside. It didn't feel quite like Christmas was ready to come. But there I was, untangling the green plastic-wrapped wires, which is a little easier when they're not cold. I was checking on the little LEDs, making sure they still functioned. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, the season Hopi Jernigan, our preacher last week, called the tailgate before Christmas. Advent is probably my favorite season in the church year, and partly that is because blue is my favorite color, and as rector, I've instituted blue around here as the color for Advent. But mostly, though, it's that Advent comes and sort of interrupts the cultural narrative. Advent asks us to hold this tension, this tension that we feel with our wider society that has already decided it is Christmas. Advent asks us to hold this tension of the already and the not yet. Advent asks us to sit in that place where it feels like it can't quite possibly yet be Christmas, because it's not. Advent invites us to be mindful of how we are preparing. And the second Sunday of Advent is when we meet John the Baptist, the great preparer. And I admit, I like the versions of the gospel a little bit better when he's covered in camel fur and eating locusts and wild honey. I love those images. Uh, Luke this morning instead gives us this impossible list of names. God bless you, Chester, for struggling through them. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Philip, Lysanius, if that's how you pronounce them. I was taught, and maybe you were taught, that these names in Luke are given because Luke's a historian. And Luke cares like most history teachers about the year. But Luke is writing before we had settled on this idea, the year of the Lord 28, or whenever this would have happened. Jesus wasn't yet on the cultural radar to set the date, right? And so instead, time was marked by the important leaders of the day in the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius. That's what these names mean, right? What if there's more? All the folks named in that first verse, that long first verse of this chapter of Luke, they would have been recorded in the annals of Rome. Many of them had not just political titles, but religious ones. Remember, the emperor of Rome had titles including Son of God. Notice that among the political leaders, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, are mentioned. So I find it interesting that naming, after naming all these supposedly holy men, all these supposedly divine instituted authorities, 
First, Luke gives us all these names, right? And then Luke says, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. It's as if the gospel is saying, the word skipped over Tiberius. The word of God skipped over, went past Pontius Pilate and Herod and Philip and Lysanias. The word of God even leapfrogged Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. The word of God went where society would least expect it, to the wilderness, to a bug-eating furry hermit named John. God shows up where we are not ready to find God. And I need that message in Advent. I do. And one of the hardest things, I think, for us around religion and holidays is nostalgia. And this time of year is chock full of nostalgia. How many of us measure our Christmas present against the ghost of some Christmas past? How many of us want to relive some memory of Christmas that maybe wasn't as good at the time as the way we remember it? How many of us feel pressure to get a particular recipe just right, to decorate something in just a particular way, to make Christmas, to manufacture Christmas, to make it feel the way it's supposed to feel, the way we somehow remember it feeling? Nostalgia is powerful, and it can be an awful measuring stick. The writer Grafton Tanner has called nostalgia the defining emotion of our time the defining emotion of our time. We spend a lot of time and energy longing for Christmases past, for a time before the pandemic, before life got so complicated, before 9-11. Tanner writes that there's a particular nostalgia in this country for the 1950s. A nostalgia that has been weaponized in American politics. If things could just go back the way they were, make America great again, build back better. You can hear the nostalgia on both sides of the political spectrum. And before nostalgia was an emotion, it was a disease. The word nostalgia was coined in the 17th century by a Swiss physician. Nostalgia was, for a couple hundred years, thought of as a psychiatric problem. Longing for a time before, longing for home, it was a diagnosable illness. Soldiers with profound cases, that's where they first came up with this term, was to diagnose soldiers. Soldiers with profound cases, they're longing to leave the battlefield and go home so intense were even reported to have died from nostalgia. Imagine. And Tanner writes that this, it's only in the 1950s and 60s in America that we start thinking of nostalgia as an emotion with some positive aspects. In those same decades, marketing specialists figured out that if they could manufacture nostalgia, you could sell more merchandise, particularly at the holidays. Nostalgia can be powerful. This season, I want to invite you, to the degree you can, 
lay aside the nostalgia. Do it for the sake of your mental health, for the sake of your loved ones. Realize this Christmas isn't going to be like any Christmas before. Advent as a season isn't about nostalgia. And the way that we practice it here at church, I can understand why we might get that confused. We love singing particular hymns this time of year. We love lighting Advent wreaths, popping chocolates out of calendars. But really, that's not what Advent is about. Listen to the name. Advent. The season is about something new. The Advent season isn't about fulfilling wooden expectations. It's about unexpected joy. The Word of God doesn't come to the place society imagined, to the supposed leaders. The Word of God came to John in the wilderness. And friends, for us, that is good news, because we are still in the wilderness. There are aspects of normalcy developing, sure. We're better off than we were this time last year, but we are still surviving a pandemic. I don't have any updates for you yet on the Omicron variant. We are in a wait-and-see position as a church, just like everyone. I can tell you that even without this latest development, we still can't plan for a quote-unquote normal Christmas. Not that any Christmas at Holy Communion was ever normal, but the biggest emblem for me about that is that this year we won't have a Christmas pageant. We aren't ready to pack a bunch of kids together for it. And we didn't want to leave younger siblings out because they can't yet be vaccinated. We didn't want to invite a bunch of aunties and grandparents because we don't feel comfortable packing the church yet. We still have attendance limits. So we, have a, we will. We'll have a children-centric service at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. We will tell the story of Christmas. We're going to do something fun in Mitchell Hall afterwards, sort of a godly play retelling with the kids. But it's not going to be that sort of special chaos where you're worried one of the angels might just take off her halo and deck her little brother dressed up as a sheep right in front of the altar, where baby Jesus screams as we sing, no crying he makes. You can hear from me, there's nostalgia around Christmas. There are particular joys I look forward to this time of year. They invoke memories for me. And yeah, I'm a little disappointed. But I'm trying to take Advent at the invitation to look forward to something new. I'm looking forward to watching Silas, our son, as he experiences the Christmas story this year as a three-year-old, as he just is figuring out how this stuff works. He's still very confused about whether or not Jesus is coming to our house. <laughs> Society writ large was pretty convinced in the first century. God's power was in the hands of Tiberius, the emperor, of Pontius Pilate, the governor, Annas, Caiaphas, the high priest, the whole list. But the word of God did something unexpected, showed up in the wilderness with the wild man John. Society today is pretty convinced it's already Christmas. It has been at least since, you know, they took down the Halloween decorations. But is it yet? Can we make room for more preparation? 
can we make room for God to do something new? And today we're inviting folks to turn in their pledge cards, if you haven't already. We're still hoping to hear from some folks. There's pledge cards in your bulletins and with all that other stuff. And sometimes we use nostalgia around the practice of giving in church. I invite folks to practice what their grandparents practice, to give because it is a time-honored tradition, and if that motivates you, by all means. But today, I also hope you are challenged. Challenged to give out of hope for what is to come. I hope that church isn't just a museum piece. I hope that church isn't just something we do to keep an institution or a tradition going. I hope that church is a place where we can come and try to make a difference today and tomorrow. I know that many of the people who give around here, they invest their hard-earned money in a vision of what could be. They trust this church to work for a world that is more equitable and more just. If you haven't yet pledged, let me challenge you. Don't give what you've given in the past just to keep, go keep things going the way they were. Invest with us. Could we practice generosity because we care about our values? Because we want more people to know Christ's welcome? Because we believe that we need bigger institutions, more communities that practice intentional diversity, intentional anti-racism, intentional inclusion of women's voices and leadership, intentional work for LGBTQ plus equity. Could we give like we want this community to grow and to continue to reach our neighborhood, our city, our world? Advent at its heart hopefully challenges us. Sure, yes, religion is about how we are tied to the past, how we are tied to those who went before us in the faith, but it's about more. Christians believe that God didn't just come once a couple thousand years ago. The words of the prophet are as true today as they were back then. My three-year-old has something in expecting that Jesus might be coming to our house. Prepare the way. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain will be leveled. Equity is coming. Justice is coming. God is coming into our world, into the wilderness places. God is coming in all the places you might least expect God to show up. Because that is the only way that all humanity, all humanity, will know God's salvation. This Advent, if all the little Christmas lights don't light up for you, maybe that isn't a reason to rush out and buy more. If the recipe doesn't come together, if a tradition just doesn't work with masks and distancing and testing, can that be okay? Could this Advent be about something else? Could Advent be about God showing up in unexpected places? How are you preparing for the world God wants to set free? Amen.